It is time for our roundtable discussion as we get ready for midday here on Friday the 13th. And uh, hopefully we'll be... A lucky day for all of you out there. If you're superstitious, you I don't know, maybe just stay in the house today. Jason Jorgensen, Bob Rogan, Susan Littlefield here, along with myself. I'm Scott Foster, and uh, we take it off to Susan. Susan, I believe you're at uh, Platte County Fair, is that right? I am. I had to come outside because I did not want to be upstaged by these champion boosters and, and <laughs> hens that are here at the fair. I actually just did an interview with a, a young man who's been showing birds for 12 years, and he gave me the ins and outs of giving birds a bath. Really? That, one. that uh, yeah. Wow. Well, we, hopefully we'll get a video on that at some point. Yeah, there we go. I should, I should have him rewash them so I can there see that. But, of there course, you, you know, there are county fairs going on all throughout our listening area, encouraging folks to get out there and spend some time. Talk to these 4-Hers and FFAers because they've got a great story to tell. Speaking of stories to tell, we're going to find out about the rain, which is doing right now here in Platte County. It's raining. Our state climatologist, uh, the folks there, will be joining us at 1219. Coming up over the midday at 1245, we're going to look at the CRA survey on farmers and what that program is all about. And then, of course, it is Friday. So it is Fridays in the field. This time we head to the western part of the state. And Sabella Guzman will be bringing us up today on how crops look in her neck of the woods. So it's a good Friday the 13th for all of our listeners. Well, I, I certainly hope so and enjoy your time. And, and as you mentioned, if you if you got a county fair going on around you, go out and see what's going on. A lot of cool things there at the county fairs. Oh, very much so. Very right. much so. Well, have a good time. Thanks, Susan, so much. Thank you. Well, Jason, uh, we have uh, an American going to try to uh, pull off an upset and get to the finals there in Wimbledon. In Wimbledon semifinals, you have John Eisner of the U.S. taking on Kevin Anderson. Of course, Anderson had to go over four hours yesterday to beat Roger Federer. His match today with Eisner is also more than four hours old. They are in the fifth set, tied at six. When this whole thing is done, no matter how it turns out, Mr. Anderson is going to need a nap. Yeah, somebody's <laughs> going to need eight some hours, ice. Yeah, eight hours of tennis, man, in two days. Oh, to be <sighs> young again. Yeah, no kidding. I would be. They need a defibrillator and everything out there. Hopefully so, they've got uh, some energy drinks, too. On here. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, but uh, this would be a monumental win for Eisner because this would be the first time he had ever moved to a final at a Grand Slam event. So he's been knocking on the door for a while. Good for him. We'll give you the uh, lowdown on that. Also coming up. Uh, this continues to be the trend. One of the top basketball players in Omaha has committed to Creighton. Omaha Burke's Sharif Mitchell, who was a Gatorade Player of the Year last year in the state of Nebraska. He will be a Creighton Blue Jay. Of course, last year he averaged about 24 points per game. He's young for his uh, grade, so he's already graduated from Burke. He is going to attend a prep school in Kansas next year to season himself up, and then he will enroll at Creighton in 2019. And also quite the honor yesterday at... Uh, Missouri Western for K-State head coach Bill Snyder. They've added on a nice papillion there, a pavilion there at their football field, and old Bill's name is on it. I tell you, he, he has done amazing work there, hasn't he? Sure has. All right, Bob, well, tell me a little bit about what's going on. Stocks uh, doing okay today. Stocks are a little higher. Also, the FDA is warning of some fake government warning letters, so they're letting us know about that. Nissan is issuing an airbag recall, and uh, President Donald Trump and British Prime Minister Theresa May are disagreeing on a few things. A couple things. All right. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Have a good weekend. That's all coming up on Midday.
Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network as we visit with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, in the grain markets today, we're still uh, getting those lows in soybeans, also in corn, but the bright spot today is wheat. Why? Well, I think it kind of really boils down, Dewey, to the fact that the major exporting countries that compete with the United States, their stocks-to-use ratios are now at the lowest on record, going all the way back to the late 1950s. And so if we have a scenario develop where the U.S. dollar does not rally sharply against some of our major competitors, we are now pretty much sitting, I would define, in the catbird seat for the next six months to pick up more wheat demand. And I think this is why the USDA was more favorable on the corn export demand and will be more favorable on the wheat export demand, especially in light of Ukraine, Australia, and Central Europe having major problems in their wheat. And they have not gotten any range yet. I would suspect that this market will continue to fight to kick shorts out of the market until rains happen in these big countries. Does this signal a little bit of a short-term bottom at the present? Well, I think this is where the wheat can find support, and it goes back to what kind of export sales can we start to rack up in the course of the next four weeks. I think just as importantly as the wheat corn spread, we're now at a wheat premium in soft red wheat against lead month corn of $1.50. That's the biggest spread since 2015. So it suggests to me that wheat, if it continues to go higher, next week especially, corn should be more sensitive to that and maybe even be able to shake off the negativity in the soy complex. Winter wheat probably could gain on Minneapolis spring wheat, given the fact that uh, that crop up there in the north looks pretty good. I think that's a fair assessment, especially given the fact that we have very good protein levels and the blending will be very, uh, the, the, the processors and elevators will be very eager to blend hard red wheat this year compared to the last couple of years. We've shed about 20% over the past three months in soybean futures. We're now at lows again. But at the same time, aren't we getting more more reports of poorer conditions in the corn and soybean belt? Yeah, and I think this is where the corn market probably will show the evidence first, especially given the fact that the supply-demand report was more friendly uh, to the corn. We continue to see the beans and the corn and that spread being unwound in favor of corn. I think, Dewey, the bottom line here is, is that it's going to be hard to post a 50-bushel yield with the current weather pattern all across the country in the soybean complex on the acreage base that we're dealing with. We're talking about bean acres once again being bigger than corn acres this year. How about the financial aspect of things as far as the outside market's influence? Well, I think the emerging markets and inflation are going to be the two biggest factors that we're going to deal with the next three months because that includes NAFTA, that includes the China-U.S. trade, that includes the currencies, and I'm writing about that right now on the weekly copy that I send out on the newsletter to producers and to clients. I think one of the things that maybe is hurting the uh, livestock markets today is the fact that there may be no NAFTA discussions in July. That's kind of the rumor mill talk going on around in the newswires. I think that's probably deflating the cattle especially today. Thanks for the comments, Mike. Have a good weekend. If you want to know more, uh, you can also get a two-week free trial subscription to Mike's newsletter by mentioning the Rural Radio Network when you go to globalanalytics.biz. That's globalanalytics.biz. Today we've talked markets with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.
Well, 11.44 here in the Central Time Zone, and as the morning has begun, Paul, we've seen a seen some rain in areas and others not as the cold front passed through. Exactly, yeah. But right now, those showers are continuing to fire right along a cold front, currently stretching from about Columbus to Grand Island to south of Kearney to about Oberlin and Norton. That's where we are seeing some light rain. And you can really tell a difference in the air with these uh, this cold front. We have temperatures in the mid to upper 70s, even some low 70s towards where we've seen some rain in the Tri-Cities and portions over south-central Nebraska. And otherwise, we have temperatures in the mid-80s to the low 90s over southeast Nebraska. It's as warm as 93 ahead of this front in Falls City right now. And undoubtedly hot and humid. Yeah, the, the heat index really currently at 97 degrees. That compares with some upper 60s to low 70s across the Nebraska Panhandle. Some nice rain and thunderstorm activity with this front last night over west-central and north-central Nebraska. Paxton, in between Ogallala and North Platte, reporting two and a half inches of rain. And we did have one rainfall total in Tryon, up to three and a half inches wow. of rain there. So Wow. Good, more, good numbers. Exactly. Some more rain and thunderstorms are likely as the day goes on. It's all thanks to this front slowly dropping south through central and east Nebraska. The focus for some showers and thunderstorms today and tonight. The overall best chances and greatest coverage of storms looks to focus between the mid-afternoon through late this evening. A few of those storms could be strong to severe. Right now, it looks like that greatest severe threat over southeast Nebraska, where there's just a marginal risk of severe weather. But we could see some wind gusts up to 60 and some dime to quarter size hill on an isolated basis. A few places could see some locally heavy rain in excess of 2 inches and some minor flooding to go along with that. Ahead of that front, though, those heat index readings uh, from north central Kansas into eastern Nebraska could reach up near 100. Sunshine and dry weather briefly return for tomorrow, but thunderstorm chances are back for Sunday through Wednesday as we see multiple disturbances pass through in a westerly flow. A stronger system could spark some severe weather by Thursday, but still a little too far out to tell for sure. Overall daytime temperatures in the next seven days look to be slightly cooler than normal. Daytime highs in most locations in the 80s. Now, in our long-term forecast, it's likely the temperatures for Nebraska and northern Kansas will be cooler than normal in the mid to late part of next week. Seasonal temperatures to the south of I-70, but by next weekend through July 26th, Nebraska temperatures will be seasonal or near normal. The Kansas temperatures look to be warmer than normal next weekend through the 26th. In the mid to late part of next week, Nebraska and Kansas should see above normal rainfall. That rainfall forecast expects near normal moisture next weekend through the 26th. Weather factors in the market include variability in Midwest conditions the next 10 days and dry conditions affecting the Australia wheat outlook. Right now, a surge of cool air is expected to arrive across the northern plains over the weekend. That will expand and cover much of the eastern half of the U.S. by the middle of next week. That interaction between the southwest monsoon circulation of moisture and several cold fronts will lead to a ring of fire rain in an arc across the four corners, the central plains, and the mid-Mississippi Valley into the southeast U.S. But a ridge of high pressure is centered over Oklahoma and Texas. That will keep most of the southern plains with above to much above normal temperatures and little, if any, rain. Increasing rain chances and cooler temperatures in the Midwest will favor the developing crops in the Midwest this next week. A new round of flooding may damage crops in the north-central Midwest. But on the other hand, we have heat and dry weather already causing crop loss in the southwestern portions of the Midwest, especially in Missouri and Kansas. Northern Plains crop 
remain in mostly good to excellent conditions at this point. Rain and a more variable temperature pattern in the Dakotas and North Minnesota will favor some developing crops in the next few days for them. Australian wheat areas continue to struggle with record or near record dryness over the past three and a half months. Wheat production now expected to amount to the lowest total in the past eight years. Oh, wow. Well, so tonight as we look in kind of in our area, in the Caribbean listening area, good chance tonight we're going to see some thunderstorms, maybe some pretty heavy rain, especially to our east. Especially, right? yeah, exactly. Central and eastern areas, probably the best chances of some rain. Farther west you go from about North Platten points to the northwest, those rain chances really drop off. But a continued unsettled weather pattern here uh, will lead to some more showers and thunderstorms to develop and unlikely chances across the central and east for later today into tonight. Okay, we'll keep an eye on all of that for your weather at any time. Where can you go to, Paul? KRVN.com. Thanks so much, Paul. This weather brought to you by Kuhlman Repair and Holdridge Irrigation. Dewey Nelson with a market update on the Rural Radio Network. And at this time... Wheat is holding on to its gains, corn trading near the lows of the range today, and soybeans are lower. September corn 340 and a quarter, December 353 and three quarters, both down five and a half. August soybeans 818 and three quarters, down 15. September 824 and a half, down 14 and a half. November 833 and a half, down 15 and three quarters. September Chicago wheat now 492 and a half, that's up eight. December 507 and three quarters, up six and a half. Kansas City September 487 and a half, up six and a quarter. December 512 and a quarter, up six and a half. Minneapolis September wheat 531 and three quarters, up one and a quarter, while December's unchanged at 549 and a quarter. Still under pressure in these cattle futures, lean hogs mostly higher, big rally in the back months. August live cattle, 104.42, down 60. October, 107.30, down 30. December, 111.30, down 27. February, 115.55, down 40. April, 117.25, down 57. August feeder cattle at 150.52, down 50. September's also 50 lower at 150.47. October, 150.80. November, 150.60, both down 47. The July lean hog contract last traded seventy nine ninety five unchanged. August seventy sixty two up twenty. October fifty five twenty up one twenty five. Wall Street. The Dow is extending its gains from yesterday up one hundred ten at twenty five thousand thirty five. Nasdaq in record territory up four at seven thousand eight twenty eight. S and P five hundred up six at two thousand eight oh four. Ever wonder why autumn has an N at the end of it? It's because autumn N, or fall as some call it, is a great time to apply ESN Smart Nitrogen. Applying it in the autumn slash fall can save you time in the spring when you have so many other important things to do. ESN's polymer coating safeguards the N throughout the winter, so by springtime, it's ready to get your crops off to the best possible start. Its unique technology responds to the same factors that spur plant growth. ESN controls its release to match plant demand according to soil temperature. Your crops get all the nitrogen they need, when they need it, all season long. And its polymer coating helps reduce nitrogen loss from leaching, volatilization, and denitrification. Effective nitrogen, a given. Responsive nitrogen, amazing. 
ask your retailer or visit smartnitrogen.com. FDA makes its case by highlighting agencies' history with cell cultures in various industries. I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a look at your midday ag news for a Friday. In the debate over which agency should take the lead in regulating cell-cultured proteins, or meats, the Food and Drug Administration on Thursday laid out its long history overseeing cell cultures for products ranging from pharmaceuticals to yogurt. FDA and USDA share duties on food inspection, with FDA overseeing as much as 80% of food products. But USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service is taking charge of traditional meat products such as beef, pork, and poultry. The advent of cell-cultured meat has created a regulatory turf battle as cell-cultured companies want FDA in charge, while traditional livestock groups want the USDA in charge. Opening up Thursday's hearing, FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb alluded to the notion that agricultural technology has outpaced regulators' understanding of the science. Innovation in American agriculture production dwarfs the technology process in almost any industry, Gottlieb said. He added that cell-cultured food will be making its way to retail shelves in the near future. Gottlieb also noted that the risks of cell-cultured meat products differ from traditionally harvested meat products. Meanwhile, traditional livestock groups have a different take. Just before Thursday's hearing, a National Pork Producers Council characterized the FDA's move as regulatory land grab. MPPC called on USDA to assert its proper oversight on two emerging issues critical to the future of animal agriculture, laboratory-produced cultured protein and gene editing in livestock production. By and large, even the sellers of cell-cultured meat said they believe USDA is the best venue to regulate their products. And it's Friday, which means we're back this week with Fridays in the Field. This week, we head out to the Panhandle in western Nebraska and catch up with Chabella Guzman's grower. Welcome to Fridays in the Field, a weekly discussion with ag producers across the state. I visited the Hemingford area to see how the crops were faring. Chris Cullen, a farmer in Hemingford, is also a certified seed grower of wheat. He talks about some challenges in growing the seed. The biggest uh, challenge, and it's becoming more of a challenge, is, uh, is fighting uh, feral rye. Uh, feral rye is spread easily along the road ditches and, and then from coal mines passing it on from field to field and things like that. So we really got to watch that. And, and uh, you know, with the use of cover crops and all that, they're using uh, crops like rye for that, which is fine. But it's uh, we just got to make sure that our equipment's clean before they go from planting a cover crop into where they're going to plant into a crop that needs uh, to grow a wheat crop. Uh, the other things that we fight are just, you know, wheat control uh, for broadleaf weeds. And, and kosher has been a more challenge as years gone on. When growers have a dry fall at planting, there is usually not a lot of volunteer wheat, unlike this year, where a lot of the undesirables grew up with the wheat, including goat grass and more. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. And finally, Eugene Sukup, who founded a grain bin and dryer company in northern Iowa, has passed away at the age of 89. Rhett's funeral home in Sheffield says Sukup passed away Thursday at Mercy Medical Center in Mason City. Services are scheduled for Tuesday in Hampton. Sukup Manufacturing Company says Sukup will be remembered by his family and many friends, colleagues, and members of the agriculture community as a leader, innovator, and exceptionally caring and generous person. Sukup and his wife, Mary, founded Sukup Manufacturing in 1963 in a welding shop in Sheffield. His first patent was for 
grain-stirring equipment to keep corn from spoiling in a bin. The company employs a little over 600 people in Sheffield. You're listening to Ag News on the Rural Radio Network. Shaley Peters back with you this week on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to visit with our Nebraska Extension agricultural climatologist, Al Dutcher. Al, after a doozy of a week, very hot across much of the region, parts of it waking up to a little bit of a cool off here this morning. And so what can we expect headed into this weekend and next week? Well, the big issue over the next 24 hours will be how this front interacts with this warm, moist air mass as it pushes slowly toward the southeast. And the expectations is that at some point this cold front will slow down and hang up somewhere in southeast Nebraska, creating a focal point for convection as we go through the next 24-hour period. Currently, the ongoing convection is primarily from um, south central southwest Nebraska up through northeast Nebraska with the heaviest concentration in northeast Nebraska and, and that's been a persistent pattern over the last 24 hours and right up along the South Dakota nor, uh, Nebraska border in northeast Nebraska rainfall totals exceeded three inches in several locations over the last 24 hours not as bad as these central portions of Minnesota that received anywhere from five to ten inches over the last 24 hours but this has been a persistent wet pattern that this area has been in and this just kind of adds to the misery of, of this excessive moisture Yet you go 100, 150 miles to the south, and we're begging for moisture, particularly in that area of north-central through northeast and east-central Kansas where the crops are burning up. So this front will actually perhaps give a chance of decent moisture, although the models have been all over the place in terms of the amount of moisture we'll receive, but there's a fairly good chance of an inch to an inch and a half of moisture across southeast Nebraska. I think a much less in, in south-central Nebraska as you'll be more closer to the drier air and away from the main brunt of the cold front where the activity will originate. And we'll get a little break for most of tomorrow before we see a secondary push as the trough in the upper atmosphere starts to strengthen over the Great Lakes. This is going to push that secondary uh, piece of energy down through our region on the backside of this trough pulling in cooler air. So we're going to actually drop to below seasonal norms as we go into the middle of next week. And we could see it across the northern part of the state highs that may not break the 80 degree mark where we'll be closer to the mid 80s to upper 80s across the southern part of the state particularly south central and southeast nebraska and as we go into wednesday there's also showing some precipitation potentially breaking out in western nebraska and that is because the trough in the east starts to lift out and we get this hot dome of high pressure from the southwest trying to push back into our region leading to some warmer temperatures as we go to the end of next week and back to a return above normal temperatures as we get into next weekend. So as that trough itself slowly moves to the east, the back side of that trough will also slowly move to the east and represent a couple more opportunities for precipitation, although it doesn't at this time appear to be as a robust connection in terms of the amount of moisture associated with this, but it is another opportunity for moisture. Then there's a lot of uncertainty after we get past next weekend, and I've been watching the model runs, and they've been back and forth between cool and warm, and it does appear in this morning's runs that at least there's a semblance of another cold front trying to push its way through late next weekend into the final few days of the month. 
So we'll see whether or not that verifies out. Because if you looked at yesterday's model runs, it had us back into the 90s to near 100 degree temperatures consistently for about a week. So, you know, we're at least breaking down some of this heat on occasion, but we're still returning to three or four days of well above normal temperatures, extending out to five days, depending on how, how quickly the cold air scours out of the region. Thanks, Al. Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to check in on sports. Here's Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Scott. Well, one of the top players in Omaha has committed to Creighton. Omaha Burke Sharif Mitchell committed to the Blue Jays last night. Mitchell last year was a Nebraska Gatorade Player of the Year, averaging 24 points per game. Now, he's already graduated from Burke. He will attend a prep school in Kansas this upcoming season before enrolling at Creighton in 2010. First men's semifinal at Wimbledon has been a marathon match between Kevin Anderson of South Africa and John Isner of the U.S. Both are appearing in their first semifinal at the All England Club. They have played longer than five hours. They are in the fifth set, and they're tied at 12. The other semifinal features Rafael Nadal against Novak Djokovic. This is their 52nd tour-level meeting. That's more than any other two men in tennis history. Bill Snyder spent just one semester of his years as a collegiate student at the school known today as Missouri Western, but his time there and growing up at St. Joe shaped the life of the college football coach who's about to begin his 27th season of a Hall of Fame career at K-State. Bill Snyder Pavilion features two levels for hosting events and an 80-foot flagpole that displays a large American flag. That pavilion was built and donated by Stephen O. Craig to Missouri Western. Well, it looks like the MIAA could have another very strong year in football. Three conference squads are ranked in the Street and Smith's College Football Yearbook. Fort Hay State, which is coming out for conference championship, is ranked fourth. Northwest Missouri is ranked ninth. And Central Missouri, who went 9-3 and three last year, is ranked 18th. Well, have you noticed the Oakland A's own the best record in the majors over the last 24 games, going 19-5 and five during that stretch, climbed to a season-high 12 games over 500. They finished off a series against the defending World Series champion Houston Astros yesterday with a win. Tonight, they'll open up an interleague series at San Francisco. And Oklahoma State Athletics will start selling beer at its venues this fall. The school made the announcement yesterday. Oklahoma State had a pilot program at baseball and softball games this past spring. So now at football games, beer will be sold at up to 22 locations adjacent to existing concession stands throughout Boone Pickens Stadium. Oklahoma State joins Texas and West Virginia as the only Big 12 schools that will allow fans to purchase beer throughout the stadium. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dave Schroeder, mostly cloudy tonight with thunderstorms likely in the central and east and heavy rain possible in eastern Nebraska. The overnight lows in the 60s, some 70s in the east. I'm Dave Schroeder. Authorities say a northeast Nebraska collision claimed the lives of a woman and one of three children in her vehicle. It occurred yesterday afternoon near Hayter. The Nebraska State Patrol says a woman's northbound SUV collided with a southbound semi-trailer on U.S. Highway 81 when she attempted to turn left onto a highway. The patrol identified the driver as 36-year-old Rebecca Fisher of Plainview. The patrol says her four-year-old child, Liam, died later at Faith Regional Health Services in Norfolk. The patrol also says two-year-old Laura and five-year-old Scarlett Fisher are expected to survive their injuries. 
The truck driver was taken to a Norfolk hospital for treatment. The patrol identified him as 26-year-old Tanner Albus of Decatur. A man whose pickup truck was stolen in Omaha while aiding some men with their car says he won't stop helping people who need it. A.J. Ostrander, who was headed down Interstate 80 Monday when he saw four men chasing a car rolling westbound on the shoulder. He maneuvered his pickup in front of it and got it stopped. They ran up shouting thanks. When he got out to free his bumper from the car, one of the men got into his pickup and sped away while his three companions ran to the other side of the interstate. He jumped onto the pickup but soon fell off. Police later told him the car had been stolen. Ostrander says he used GPS on the pickup to find it near Epley Airfield, abandoned. He told a television station that you still got to trust people. He says there's more good people than bad. A man injured in an explosion at a northeast Nebraska grain elevator has died. The Meyer Brothers Funeral Home says a 55-year-old Maurice Maury Kellogg died Monday. He'd been injured May 29th when the blast blew a gaping hole in the Anderson Farms elevator in South Sioux City. Residents of 26 houses nearby were evacuated. Fears of the elevator collapsing kept many away until June 11th when the elevator top was dismantled. The cause for the explosion is being investigated. President Donald Trump and First Lady Melania Trump have arrived at Windsor Castle for a social visit with Queen Elizabeth II. The monarch welcomed the American president in the courtyard of the royal castle. Current radar plus your 10-day forecast anytime. Just tap the app or click weather on krvn.com. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. A recent survey by the Center for Rural Affairs found many farmers and ranchers value the Conservation Stewardship Program, CSP, and what it offers to enhance their existing conservation efforts. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Cora Fox, Policy Program Associate at the Center for Rural Affairs, says the center has always advocated for policy specifically focused on sustainable agriculture in rural communities. The center really believes that conservation is a core component to supporting sustainable agriculture in rural communities. So we did this survey in 2017. We sent, I believe, nearly 4,800 surveys out to participants that have utilized the Conservation Stewardship Program in five states. We looked at Iowa, Kansas, Nebraska, North Dakota, and South Dakota. We wanted to know why farmers and ranchers were applying for the program. We wanted to understand if they were satisfied with the program. We wanted to know about the conservation enhancements that they had implemented on their land as a result of being a part of the program. And we wanted to know if they felt like the program was addressing their resource concerns to the point where they felt like they needed to renew the conservation stewardship program contracts. Well, the farmers and ranchers are very interested in CSP and using its resources to assist them with sustainability in agriculture. Fox says CSP is is at risk in the Farm Bill on two different fronts. Of the Farm Bill that did pass earlier this summer had proposed to eliminate funding and authority completely for the conservation stewardship program. Um, And the Senate draft of the Farm Bill, which was also passed, had just proposed uh, cutting some funding from the program. Um, we see, we've heard and we've seen some language that supports uh, lumping the Conservation Stewardship Program in with the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, which is also a working lands conservation program. We see value in the equip, but there is concern that they're taking away what makes this program different from other conservation programs, which is the comprehensive nature of the Conservation Stewardship Program. 
uh, when a farmer enrolls and applies in the conservation stewardship program, they have to enroll their entire farming operation. And so there's a, a greater opportunity for impact on protecting natural resources. And some of these other conservation programs, they don't have that comprehensive nature. I think that many of the, one of the driving forces behind cutting the conservation stewardship program likely is caused by just the, the financial aspect in the farm bill. Fox says the survey shows many farmers and ranchers are concerned about the ag economy and input costs are on the rise. Many farmers and ranchers value conservation. They are stewards of the land. They do want to pass their land on to future generations. Um, but we also know that when you put the pen to paper, it's difficult to justify some additional costs and sometimes conservation enhancements are additional costs on a farm. We learned um, as a result of these surveys that many farmers and ranchers first kind of decided to enroll in the program because they felt like it would help them fund maybe uh, new technology to implement their conservation practices. There was also motivation to enroll in the program uh, because of the fact that just farmers and ranchers value conserving their soil and water resources and they just felt like the conservation stewardship program was a good way to pursue that. CSP is a working lands conservation program, so the acres enrolled can still be in production by producers, unlike the Conservation Reserve Program and others, which take land out of production. Fox explains how the Conservation Stewardship Program offers hundreds of conservation enhancements for farmers and ranchers to choose from with the help of NRCS staff. The way that these are chosen is based off of a few different factors. Um, each state has conservation priority concerns. Um, that they determine at the state level through state technical committees. And then the NRCS staff goes to the farmer and they look at specific issues that might be happening on that farm. So many of the farmers and ranchers talked about soil erosion being an issue and so they had decided to utilize cover crops and no-till um, as different ways to kind of address that issue. We had a lot of farmers talk about using variable rate technology on their farms. Additionally, we had some farmers report, farmers and ranchers, excuse me, report changing their grazing and watering habits of their livestock to improve their pasture, um, which was a, another benefit that we thought was, was really great. So there are some folks that have utilized the conservation stewardship program to add pollinator habitats on their land. And there are some people that have put in uh, windbreaks and other enhancements that have increased like pheasant populations so there's a lot of value for wildlife as well. The Center for Rural Affairs survey shows 86 percent of respondents had a very high level of satisfaction with their contracts and would like to renew. Fox says in Nebraska soil erosion and water use are popular conservation practices. So Nebraska there's a few different issues but water quantity is an issue and I would say soil erosion as well is an issue particularly with the uh, weather extremes that we experience, uh, limited rainfall and, you know, a lot of wind. And so we see a lot of farmers that are implementing cover crops right now. That's kind of a uh, really a popular practice amongst farmers participating in any uh, USDA programs. The likely reason the conservation stewardship program is being cut or scaled back from the farm bill is to save money. Fox says defunding the program will not save money in the long run as there will eventually be soil erosion and water issues in the future. She advises anyone interested in saving CSP to contact their representatives in Washington. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman.
Bank of Donovan, your one-stop financial center, is ready to lend a helping hand with business and ag loans, investments, retirement planning, and all types of insurance. Take advantage of internet banking and online bill pay 24-7 at bankofdonovan.com. Bank of Donovan, you'll love their brand of banking, member FDIC, equal housing lender with locations in Grand Island, Donovan, and Hastings. I've got the water, energy bars, and camera. I think we're set for the hike. Almost. We need to protect our skin. Don't forget your wide-brimmed hat and sunscreen. All right. I've got the hat. I've got SPF 30. Will that work? Yeah. Anything 15 or higher is good. Just make sure it says broad spectrum. Great. Got it. I am not getting burned again. Let's go. Good afternoon. Dewey Nelson with the Market Report on the Rural Radio Network. Soybean values once again playing defense today and at almost 10-year lows. Meanwhile, the corn is down to contract lows as well, but wheat ends up pretty much higher. September corn, 341 and three quarters, down four. December, 355, down four and a quarter. August soybeans, 820 and a quarter. September, 825 and a half, both down 13 and a half. November 835 and a quarter down 14. September Chicago wheat 496 and a half up 12. December 512 up 10 and 3 quarters. Kansas City September 491 up 9 and 3 quarters. December 515 and a quarter up 9 and a half. Good growing conditions in the spring wheat areas has dropped uh, Minneapolis wheat. September down a quarter at 530 and a quarter. December down 1 and a half. We settled slightly lower in live cattle today. Feeders mostly mixed, and we were mostly higher, especially the back months of lean hogs. August live cattle settled 104.55, down 47. October 107.37, down 22. December 111.40, down 17. August feeder cattle 150.72, down 30. But September up 10 at 151.07. October up 7 at 151.35. November 15102 down 5. July lean hogs settled 7995 unchanged. August 7015 down 27, but October up a dollar 30 at 5530. The Dow Industrial Average up 97 at 25021. Nasdaq down 3 at 7819. S&P 500 up 4 at 2802. Hey, University of Nebraska supporters, listen up. Alumni and parents have formed the One Nebraska Coalition. We are students, business owners, farmers, ranchers, and retirees who believe Nebraska needs a vibrant and affordable public university system. Whether you're a Husker, Maverick, Loper, NCTA Aggie, or have been impacted by UNMC, join us in standing for the University of Nebraska. Join One Nebraska's growing coalition for free at one as in O-N-E hyphen Nebraska.org. You remember how it was, gathering in the shadow of Chimney Rock, taking a wagon ride, then lining up for the most delicious Nebraska beefsteak, seasoned green beans, baked potato, and sourdough bread. And now, Legacy of the Plains is recreating the event on the grounds of the museum, Saturday, August 25th. Gates open at 5, dinner bell rings at 6. Then stay if you wish for the music of Chancey Williams and the Younger Brothers Band. The dinner will sell out fast. Get tickets at 308-436-1989 or Legacyoftheplains.org. 
after all it was said and done, we didn't fluctuate all that much in these cattle futures. Let's talk about this with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe. You're absolutely right. We didn't fluctuate much. Now, all the cattle, live cattle contracts closed a little bit lower, but nothing uh, dramatic at all. Very choppy trade all day, uh, uh, mostly uh, lower all day. So uh, we didn't try see some short covering uh, coming into the close to kind of shave some of those losses. Cutouts were lower, didn't help much. Haven't heard of any real uh, big trade uh, take place either uh, uh, so far. Uh, so it may be uh, later this afternoon and even into the weekend. The feeder's going to close mixed. The uh, nearby August a little bit lower. Uh, the rest uh, pretty much uh, a little, just a little bit higher with one exception in the back end in the November. Um, over in the hogs, uh, uh, mostly higher, one exception there, August, uh, which closed just a little bit lower. The rest uh, uh, had some triple-digit gains from uh, the October on back, but they have been uh, pummeled here th- this past week, and they're still uh, recovering from some of those losses. Cutouts at noon were higher. Uh, pork tray or the the hog tray live hogs uh, a little bit lower, but uh, uh, we've already built in uh, most of that. So uh, very uh, choppy uh, day and a finish uh, to the week. That uh, saw lower uh, cattle, lower feeders, and lower hogs for the week. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. You can call him at 800 328 0134. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Fridays in the Field, a weekly discussion with ag producers across the state. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. July is a time when most crops are putting on heavy growth or even getting ready to harvest, such as wheat. I visited the Hemingford area to see how the crops were faring. Chris Cullen, a farmer in Hemingford, talked about how his sugar beet crop is coming along. This year the beets went in in pretty good shape, Chabella. They had a uh, really decent spring getting started out. We After we got them planted, we didn't have a lot of inclement weather. That caused a lot of frost issues or killing, so we got away with planting them once. And... Uh, had really good weather for beets, so I got a decent stand, and then uh, the weather cooperated while we were putting on herbicide down, so the herbicide worked pretty well, except for on some edges and stuff that are kind of tough. Cullen says they have had to deal with some weather issues, like most in the area. We've had uh, scattered hailstorms. Every beef field we have had has had some degree of hail, some worse than others. But, you know, and with that, we'll get some disease pressure coming on the late. You know, we'll see more of the Cosper things and like that a little bit later in the season. But uh, so far, so good. And uh, uh, the hail regrowing new leaves now. And, and uh, so we injected some uh, thiosol and some nitrogen on to help heal the plants up. And you can't put any nitrogen down after the 15th of July. So put some thiosol in, it really helps heal those plant leaves up. So With the sugar beet leaves growing, the beet will continue to grow through the summer. Switching gears into wheat, Cullen says they will be out in the field soon. Uh, the wheat harvest is just gearing up. I know Farmers Club and Hemingford received their first load yesterday. I hadn't heard any of the quality characteristics about it, but uh, uh, they did get some of their first loads, and I know some of the few neighbors around I'd seen some test cutting done and some cutting actually take place. I haven't heard on any big issues on quality or not, but I had a friend that told me he had some moistures in the 12s, and, and sounded like the protein was in the 11 and 12 range too. So with any luck, we'll have a, a higher protein than we did last year. 
and maybe even equivalent yields to what we had last year. We had a pretty decent year on wheat last year where we didn't have any hail, and uh, and I think we'll see that again this year. If you didn't have hail, you're probably going to have pretty good wheat if you took care of the plant and fertilized it and and, uh, and treated it like it needed to be treated. Colin is also a certified seed grower of wheat. He talks about some challenges in growing the seed. The biggest uh, challenge, and it's becoming more of a challenge, is, uh, is fighting uh, feral rye. Uh, feral rye is, is uh, spread easily along the road ditches and, and then from coal mines passing it on from field to field and things like that. So we really got to watch that. And, and uh, uh, you know, with the use of cover crops and all that, they're using uh, crops like rye for that, which is fine. But it's uh, we just got to make sure that our equipment's clean before they go from planting a cover crop into where they're going to plant into a crop that needs uh, to grow a wheat crop. The other things that we fight are just, you know, weed control uh, for broadleaf weeds, and, and kosher has been a more challenging as years gone on. And When growers have a dry fall at planting, there is usually not a lot of volunteer wheat, unlike this year, where a lot of the undesirables grew up with the wheat, including goat grass and more. Cullen also grows dry edible beans, which, like his other crops, are faring pretty well. Edible beans are off to the races as well. We've had a pretty decent spring for everything. Is uh, everything got planted in decent time, and you know we just got done cultivating our beans, and we're putting herbicide on them now, and, and they actually look really good, except for we had some hail again. But uh, to me, it looks like we got a pretty decent pr- uh, promise for a good crop there. I mean, once we start flowering in the beans, if we just if we keep the disease off and from irrigating and things like that, and we should have a good bean crop. It's pretty easy to manage them as long as the weather works with us. That's Chris Cullen of Farmer and Hemingford giving us an update on his main crops. For more Fridays in the Field, check out the podcasts at kneb.com backslash ag hyphen podcasts or watch all the video interviews from this series on the ruralradio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Eight. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network on a day we saw corn and soybeans trade lower through the overnight session and much of the day session as well. Uh, Wheat was the bright spot. And with us is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. I asked you this yesterday, and I'll do it again today. Looks like we've reached a bottom in wheat market. Yeah, I think short term it has to look pretty good. If I was holding holding product, I think maybe the next two weeks to get an opportunity up in the uh, the five ten five fifteen area. I I don't think I'd gamble given the outside market kind of action here that we're going to get much more than that. Tend tend to see kind of a little bit of a boost of price in mid July and then have it break into the delivery September. So if, if I were trying to game plan this, and obviously probably won't go this smoothly, but hold your product here. If, Hold long positions here, and then maybe look to sell five ten, five fifteen mid mid month. Uh, you know, by mid month of August, and, and then I don't think you want to own it the last two weeks as delivery approaches. Mm-hmm. And a cautionary item, of course, might be the spring wheat since it's in such good shape. Uh, it, we'll see winter wheat probably gain on spring wheat, won't we? Yeah, I, I'd imagine so. And, and what'll be interesting to see is kind of the battle on protein. It's such good crop up there. They might have. It might be good for KC as far as protein premiums go. Maybe we will see some come back, uh, given that you know just such a big crop up in the spring wheat area brings some of their protein down. Uh, that'll be remain to, remain, to be, remain to be seen, though. Uh, it's been a record record good weather up there in in the areas like Montana, Western Dakotas, uh, and I, I think that should be a limiting factor on any of the flat price gains we'll see. So again, if you're holding KC product for sub delivery, I think you, you move it in the you know the mid low fives there. No. 
uh, on the downside of things, soybeans and corn at their contract lows and an almost 10-year low in soybeans. Will the trade start taking notice of this too much rain in parts of the corn and soybean belt and dryness? Well, I think that's that's the kind of thought here. And, and you know, some of the guys with earlier beans, as I think I maybe mentioned yesterday on, on, on this call, that, you know, the, the, the pods aren't as, as big as they thought they'd be, and vegetation's there, but you're not getting the, the pod setting like, like they'd hoped. Uh, I think that's a stretch at this point. I still think, I mean, today, for example, I mean, we were down 60 cents this week in beans, 6%, and just maybe one of the worst weeks we've seen in the history of the contract. Uh, I, I think we're getting to a levels now, though, where the crop insurance will kick in. I would be a buyer here, uh, you know, just from a speculative standpoint, which is what I do. I mean, take a look at some longer-term call options. Uh, you know, and your bet is that they'll, they'll get a, an agreement by a certain point. Uh, they've been very good about projecting, you know, the agreement by the, the midterm. So maybe a, a January call option would be something to look at. Very good. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to their website, danielsagmarketing.com. This is the Rural Radio Network.